Hello over there on the other side of the pond. This is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. We're here every week on this station, Premier Radio, and we try to interview and talk to people who have some important things to say to the church in the 21st century. Today, our guest is Lindy Bacchus. Uh, did I say that right? I've been your good friend and working with you. Did I say it all right? Yeah, I, I usually it's just Bacchus uh, because of uh, I, it, we try to make it complicated by putting weird spelling in, but Bacchus yeah. is good. And he, he, as you may know, is a, uh, maybe you don't know, he's a professor at Eastern University. He teaches uh, development work in developing countries. Uh, he spent 18 years in Indonesia doing development work uh, under the flag of Jesus. Uh, he's a Christian in many ways, and uh, he, uh, he has deep concerns about neocolonialism. And you folks over there in the United Kingdom ought to know all about neocolonialism <laughs> uh, because you are the guys that invented colonialism in its biggest and baddest forms. Uh, welcome to the show, Lindy. Great to be here with you, Tony and Shane. Uh, let me ask you, uh, you were there and you were forced to leave uh, Indonesia. Uh, what, they gave you three days to get out of town. Uh, one day you got up and you thought it was going to be another day and they gave you the word. You got to be out of this country in three days. Uh, it Interestingly enough, it wasn't the Muslim majority that was responsible, but government people who forced you out. Could you tell us a little bit about why they wanted to get rid of you as a missionary? Oh, you're yeah, not you, a missionary. You, you're a development person. Yeah, well, I, you know, the mission of God, I, I guess you could say I was a missionary, but I wasn't there under a missionary visa. I wasn't, uh, I, I mean, my, I'm a develop, development professional. Um, my PhD actually comes from University of Leeds in North England in economic and community development, uh, but also linked with theology. And, but you've got it exactly right, Tony. I, um, <clears throat> we were there 18 years. We lived for eight years in the provincial capital of West Java called Bandung. And I lived in a, uh, for four and a half of those years, I, we lived in, a, in an urban slum. Uh, my wife and I um, and our daughter for her first four years of her life. Then we moved out to the villages about three and a half hours away uh, in a place called Tasik Malaya, which is kind of one of the centers of um, academic Islam in all of Indonesia. And I don't know if your reader or your listeners know, but uh, Indonesia is actually the largest Muslim country in the world in regard to population and demographics. How large? How many people? Well, um, it's hard. They don't keep really good records, primarily because they don't want to incite, um, you know, problems between the different religious groups. But the estimates go it's probably anywhere from ninety to ninety-five percent Muslim, and Indonesia is the fourth largest country in the world. It's about and how many people live there? Two hundred sixty million people. Oh man! So um, you got you know China, India, United States, and then fourth is Indonesia. So we lived there for ten years, and. Um, I have a theological degree from Asbury Theological Seminary in MDiv, and then I got a Master's of Science in Economic Development from Eastern University back in the early 90s. And then I was doing microfinance. We were doing primary health care extension. We were doing handicraft Im import-export, uh, political advocacy, education work, agricultural extension. And all of this kind of organically grew up out of um, our idea that um, – we were in a very strong Muslim context. We wanted to be 
um, a very diverse group of, of, of people, Muslims and Christians working together to help the poor, and then we would talk about it uh, periodically, like at least once a month, we would gather together intentionally and talk about it, because Indonesia is a diverse country, even though its, it's, it's majority is Muslim, there's a large Christian community there, there's a Buddhist community, there's Hindus on the island of Bali, which I lived there for about six months during 1993. So it's a, it's a diverse place. So we were in a very strongly Muslim area, but they had Christians. <clears throat> so over time, we were able to develop uh, under the auspices of a local-founded development organization. We had um, not, uh, about 15 adults that were expatriates from outside the country, but we were from nine different countries. So we were Malaysians, Singaporeans, Brits, uh, Americans, um, uh, New Zealanders, Australians, Dutch, Canadians. Uh, so there was just a, a, a panoply of different people all working toward development. And then we had about 45 at our largest Indonesians that were working with us, and we were intentionally both Muslims and Christians. And the idea is helping the poor in both faiths was a form of worship. Um, it's what God would want us to do. And then we would once a month at least, and like during the fast month, it would be usually weekly, sometimes even several times during the week, we would get together and gather and talk about it. So we would get to know each other really well. And this all lends, lends itself to what you asked, Tony, in that we were kicked out <clears throat> at the beginning of August in 2007, but they'd been trying for about four years to get us. And it was primarily, it was the local government which didn't reflect the, the desires of the people, didn't certainly reflect our colleagues who were the majority of, of whom were Muslims. But um, I think it was primarily because we were working grassroots really on a shoestring and getting significant results over time. In fact, even though I've been gone now about 11 or 12 years, the work still carries on there. Even they, though they kicked us out, our, my Muslim con colleagues are still back there in Tasikmalaya working, and they still do a lot of really good things. It's, it's smaller because they, they hammered us, but it, it's still doing stuff. So for about four years before we um, got kicked out, they accused us of Christianizing. Well, that wasn't true. Um, we were openly Christian, but we had openly Muslim people, and our Muslim friends actually defended us. Then the second round, about several months later, they accused us of um, being CIA operatives and incendiaries politically. You know, they didn't know my politics very well because I wouldn't have aligned with that. But um, again, my Muslim friends protected us and defended us at no small risk to them. The third thing they came back several months later is they said that we were pocketing money. Well, we had adopted a simple lifestyle. Um, 18 years over there, I, I didn't own a car. We took public transportation everywhere, lived without air conditioning, uh, no squat toilets. We had, didn't have um, hot running water. I mean, it, it was a you know it's a beautiful country, so I'm not complaining. I'm just saying we live very simply. So I don't know where the money was going if we were pocketing money. And again, our Muslim friends said that. The fourth thing that they leveled against us is they said that we were abusing our visa, and that wasn't true. But since they control the visa laws. They issued a letter which went into Jakarta, the capital city, came back out, and by the time we got it, it was a, a done deal. And so three days later, they escorted us to the airport and kicked us out and black, blacklisted us. And that was in 2007. Hmm. That's a heartbreaking wow. story about how uh, you basically uh, were helping people and uh, doing what, in fact, the government claimed it should be doing, only right. evidence that faith-based programs— Christians working with Muslims 
in Indonesia, faith-based programs do things better, more efficiently, and in a less expensive way than those government bureaucracies that often are marked by all kinds of corruptions and are often manned and womaned by people who don't have the kind of commitment that you and your Muslim friends had to helping the poor. I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, there was a transcendent purpose. I mean, one of the things with my Muslim friends, and and incidentally, um, our board of directors were Muslim, but they were very moderate, open-minded, justice-oriented Muslims. Um, So because we wanted local people to be heads of our organization. I mean, you know, the expatriates heads of the organization, that wouldn't be right, in our opinion. So we had Muslim bosses who helped us found the organization. Um, But, you know, we all believed that uh, God wanted us to do this. And I used to tell my Muslim colleagues, because I was leading the the English speaking and the the foreigner wasn't Western. It was foreigners because we had Asians and Filipinos and and Singaporeans and Malaysians with us, I used to say um, to my Muslim friends, I said, you find really, really serious Muslims. I'll find really serious Christians. Let's not just have them be identity card people to just have their name on something, but really want to do what God wants them to do. Let's come together, work together, and uh, see what God will do through us. And that is what happened. And um, it was when it was happening well, um, it felt like a little slice of heaven. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we're talking to Dr. Lindy Backus uh, about his work in Indonesia for 18 years. And um, one of the things that you uh, the words you use and and value, it seems, uh, Lindy, is incarnation. And I I have a a neighbor that says sometimes we make our theology too complicated um, and she speaks Spanish as her primary language. She says, like, uh, when you order your burrito con carne, it means with meat. And uh, that, that's what we're talking about when we say incarnation is God enfleshed, uh, God with meat on, love with skin on. And that's an approach that it seems like you've embraced and, and modeled in, in the particular aspect of community development. Tell us a little bit more what that looks like. Incarnational m- development. Yeah. yeah. There you go. In- what does that mean? Yeah, well, I mean, it, interestingly enough, and I, Shane, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, especially us academic types, I'm, you know, I'm at a university now. I used to ride my bike around villages for 20 years, and now all, I'm, all of a sudden I'm at a university. But I still consider myself a bike rider and, you know, kind of a guy who's just cross-legged on a mat with people eating rice. And um, I think we make things really complicated. Uh, but interestingly enough, when I was at University of Leeds, I did my PhD. Uh, my thesis was entitled The Image of the Incarnation as Motif for Development Practice in West Java. So the idea is when God God wanted us to do development, God wants us to follow God's tracks. So God was the first developer. You know, God, we were in a desperate state before um, the first Easter. And um, God, long before, through the patriarchs and then culminating in Jesus, helped us out. So um, there's this guy by the name of John Bonk, who's a missiologist, a Canadian missiologist, and he says something to the effect of, um, it's probably time we started seeing the incarnation as not just theologically descriptive, but strategically prescriptive. So the idea is that when God did it, he did it in a certain way, and not that we should slavishly follow it, but the method is probably pretty smart. And so, like you said, 
what it would what would it look like to do it with meat on? I mean, Eugene Peterson in his the message translates that John one fourteen and God moved into the neighborhood. Yeah. Right. So I always thought, you know, what would it look like for God to move into the neighborhood? Now it's costly. You know, um, you you've got to divest. You've got to. I remember John Perkins, the great, um, you know, community developer, African-American community developer uh, in the United States, says, you know, we have the three R's, uh, you know, uh, reconciliation, relocation and redistribution. So it requires you to do something. But it's it's conceptually not complicated. I mean, it's just hard. And therein, kind of tagging into what Tony said a little bit ago, you need the power of God. You need the spirit of God to infuse you. So it requires a devotional life you know, a mystical life, but it's not because it's conceptually all that complicated. It's because you need to walk in the steps of Jesus. And, um, and, you know, so we did that. And I mean, we did it with all sorts of flaws. Um, it makes you, it makes you realize how in the flesh, <laughs> in a Pauline sense, you are quite often. I mean, you know, I, I move, I move into the neighborhood in the flesh and I end up all of a sudden my flesh starts showing but you know, then you get opportunities to, to, to ask forgiveness, to reconcile, to be forgiven by Muslims, by global South people. By yeah, and you know, as you, you think about like the flesh and blood, the real authentic life. That's what you know. Jesus is the Word become flesh. We're good at words on paper and reading books and everything, but uh, it seems like part of what we've lost is the the real art of living with people. Uh, one of the, the great sermons I heard, uh, Lindy, was from Michael Frost, who uh, he's a you know writer, theologian, but he, he did a whole sermon on excommunication. So the opposite of incarnation or, or ex- excarnation, um, the opposite of incarnation. He says, half of our lives now are lived outside of ourselves. We live virtually on technologies. We live in airports that have you know, not, not, you just like nothing has much flesh or character to it. And um, so this idea is kind of getting back to something that we've lost in some ways is just living among people, learning from them, building on what they know and having real relationships with people. And for you, like that also meant Muslims, folks that don't share your faith. And uh, this uh, there's two stories that come to my mind. Uh, one of the little boy uh, crying in his bedroom uh, in the dark, and his mother and father coming in and say, is there anything wrong? And he says, I'm frightened. And mother said, uh, but God is with you. God is in this room. And he said, I want somebody who has skin on him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what Jesus was and is. It's God with skin all over him. And uh, you were doing that. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi once said we should preach the gospel all day long and sometimes we should use words. So even though you weren't out there preaching every day, you were living out the teachings of Jesus, and that becomes a message that gets communicated to your Muslim brothers and sisters as well as to secularists. So thanks for doing that for us. This is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne, and we're interviewing uh, Lindy Bacchus. Uh, He is the uh, uh, professor of, of, of development, uh, here at Eastern University, uh, where I have taught, where Shane went and got a good bit of his education. And actually, people don't know this, 
but Shane has an honorary doctorate <laughs> from Eastern University. So uh, from now on, please think of Dr. Shane Claiborne. as Dr. Shane Claiborne. Hey, I'll take but it. Um, here he is, and um, we're here every week at this time promoting Red Letter Christianity. It's a movement. Red Letter Christians is a movement. Uh, go to the website. Check us out, redletterchristians.org. Uh, now, Lindy, I want you to reflect a little more on the fact that you're back here in the States. You're not only doing this work that's so important at Eastern University in teaching students in the skills of development ministry. Uh, I have to ask, uh, you've gotten yourself allied with me in a little church in South Philadelphia, uh, St. John's Baptist Church. Could you tell me and tell the audience a little bit about that and what that's doing to you? Yeah, um, it's in some ways it's a completely different thing, but in other ways, Tony, and you probably knew this when you called me, it's it's really the same. It's just a second chapter of the same book. Um, I mean, I live in South Philadelphia. Uh, I, I you know I had to move into the city when we came back. Um, I just had to be uh, where the kind of the hurly burly was happening, and and you know I also because of the fact that I feel like um, incarnation is such an important thing, and because bodies are what we all have, you know we are not disembodied people. I needed to be in a place where um, I ran into more poverty, I ran into more bodies, I ran into more people living close to each other. And then, you know, another thing is one of the largest Indonesian populations in North America is in South Philadelphia. It used to be the land of all Italians, but now, you know, there's some Italians still there. Now there's all sorts of Cambodians and Vietnamese and Mexicans and Indonesians and Burmese and Bhutanese and Nepalese. So it's just a huge, you know, kind of cacophony of different people and in a huge Indonesian community. I'm actually a Mennonite and I was a elder of an Indonesian Mennonite church down here. I still am. And um, when you got that call, Tony, that this church was having some struggles, this American Baptist church, which itself a hundred years ago uh, used to have extensive outreach to the poor Italian immigrant community and did amazing things hooked to a settlement house and employment possibilities and health and whatever. But over the last 30 years, it's kind of fallen on hard times through uh, people moving out and the demographics of the city changing and whatever. You know, they're just about ready to close this place. They call you. And because Tony and you and I had worked together before, you knew where I live. So you called and said, you know, hey, I, I'm willing to be an interim pastor at this place. Do you want to do it with me? Um, I had to remember to pray <laughs> because I wanted to do it. And so, you know, prayer said yes. My wife thought it was a good idea. And so we've been doing this thing since the beginning of January. Um, my Indonesian and Burmese friends who are in churches, and even I've got a very good link with a local Indonesian mosque down, not very far from the church. Everybody is really excited to help this work, to make this uh, church that used to be such a beacon of hope for the Italian immigrants 100 years ago, to be a beacon of hope to the other immigrants that are down there and to be a place of reconciliation, empowerment, and change. Frankly, in the midst of a place uh, which is very fastly gentrifying, driving rent rates up, and causing the poor all kinds of difficulties in regard to, to, to prices. So, you know, we've, we've got a, a kind of a, a tough road to hoe, but I, I think God's in it. 
And so it's just really exciting. It's only about two blocks from my house. Yeah, I'm looking forward to coming down there sometime and worshiping with y'all. And Lindy, I imagine a lot of the things that you you learned as you're building, you know, forging relationships with Muslim leaders and, and friends of yours um, are very valuable in the context that we're living in, where we see a lot of fear and violence and hatred surface. We, I mean, you know, obviously see that the horror of what happened in Sri Lanka um, and also the, the, the hatred that manifests itself in, in New Zealand and the targeting of the Muslim community there. We've had folks uh, in Philadelphia cut the head off of a pig and dump it in front of a mosque. Um, really horrible hatred. Um, what are some of the things that you learned that you you feel like uh, living in the context here now uh, you can shine in that darkness a little bit i guess i what i learned shane is probably very similar to many of the ideas that you've learned so deeply yourself i mean you know at the end of the day people are people and you know you get people that have struggles you get people that seem to be living just for themselves you got other people that are living for others and you wonder how in the world they can give so much and i've not found I mean, I'm a very committed Christian. Jesus is the way. Um, but I've not found that, that, that we have a corner on the market on love. You know, we're not the only ones who love. And I, I, have, I have had Muslim friends. Yeah, I was in, at the big, huge Asian tsunami in 2004, Boxing Day 2004. I w- oh, two weeks later, I was up in northern Sumatra helping with that. And, you know, I had a friend who said, um, here, after three uh, um, 30-meter waves came in in a period of, of every 15 minutes and wiped out 165,000 people down up and down the coast. You don't ask, have you lost anybody? You ask, how many have you lost? And yet when I went up there, people treated me so well and gave me the last little bit of what they had. It, it often would make me literally weep. And I found, I found um, that to be the case everywhere. So like down in South Philadelphia, I mean, my little Indonesian church which meets in an old Baptist church, which has later was later turned into a speakeasy and a, a nightclub. It still has the bottle openers on the inside where they used to pop open their beers and all that. And that's where our church meets. This little church, you know, my, my co-parishioners, you know, they get up at 4.30 in the morning and go to factory jobs. And yet we've at times run on hard times financially transitioning back from Indonesia. They've actually given us money. They've actually helped us. Hmm. They've actually looked after my kids. And the, the, um, I've, I found it not just to be amongst Indonesian Christians. The Muslim, Christ, uh, the Muslim Indonesians also um, have helped us down in South Philly, over in Indonesia and whatever. So at the end of the day, I guess what I would say is I'm just looking for people who are really hungry for God. And I have a belief that Jesus will show himself to those who really seek. Hmm. Now, I'm not in control of that, and I can't prove that scientifically, but I know the heart of God that I've worshipped now for this odd you know, 30, 40 years. I've watched it happen, and I don't think God um, can be contained in containers of any man-made kind of uh, boundaries, like religious uh, lines and whatever. And if you're seeking God, um, God will meet you. That's our prayer. I mean, that's missional, Tony. You were talking about yep. missions before. That's the mission of God. 
And so for me, it's to get amongst people, try to find out who's aching to know what God would want them to do, and aching, therefore, to help the poor, because I think those two go together, and work with those folk, and just see how God shows up for all of you. I had a friend, really, a friend yeah. of uh, mine, uh, Jackie Lewis, Reverend Jackie Lewis in New York, she just said, uh, uh, God doesn't only speak Christian, uh, that, that, you know, God can show, be shown through uh, nature and through other faiths and uh and and that doesn't take anything away from our uh, love for Jesus and for folks to know him. So that's a beautiful word, not to limit. To, in fact, some of Christianity doesn't point to Christ very well. <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, what Lindy would affirm is that uh, if you're looking for dedication to God, Muslims are much more dedicated than most of the Christians we know. They're praying five times a day. I mean— I'm lucky if I can get Christians to pray one time a day. So uh, right. uh, we've got a lot to learn from them. We've been uh, talking to Lindy Barkas, who is uh, a professor uh, in the Economic Development Program here at Eastern University in St. David's, Pennsylvania. If you want to meet him, uh, he's a co-pastor or co-interim pastor of St. John's Baptist Church at 13th and Tasker in South Philadelphia, meets on Sunday at 1030. But uh, we're here to promote red-letter Christianity, and I deem my brother in Christ, Lindy Bacchus, as a red-letter Christian, somebody who's going to take those red letters highlighted in many of the old Bibles, highlighting the words of Jesus with red letters. And uh, so go to the website, redletterchristians.org, and check us out and join us. There's a place where you can sign on as a red-letter Christian. Blessings on you. Thanks for listening.